0: Hello and good morning to you, my beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord. Of course, it's your brother, Pastor Chido Jacob, here this morning that we may break the bread of life. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you for this family. Thank you for this growing and expanding family led by the truth of Christ. I thank you this morning for every one of my brothers and sisters who are listening. I thank you, Father, that the intended purpose of this message is now their reality. Thank you, Father. If they need trust, trust will come out of them. If they need faith, this message will produce faith. Whatever they need, your power in them will rot it in the name of Jesus, that we all may come to the full manifestation of your kingdom, that we may eat and taste of all that this kingdom has to offer to us, that in us men will see your kingdom, through us they will see your kingdom. Our thoughts are thoughts of your kingdom, our words are words of your kingdom. We bless you, Father, for this eternal life that we have that it continues to grow in us and overflows to everything around us, that anything dead around us this morning is receiving life. We give you the praise and we give you the glory. The blind are seeing, Lord, the dead are raised back. Those who are in prison of religion, the words, this message is opening the door for them and recovering their life back to them. Thank you so much, precious Father. We give you the praise and we give you the glory. We worship you. We magnify you. Thank you for all that you have done for us. What a wonderful and amazing and gracious Father you are. Thank you, Daddy, and everyone who prayed with me this morning will say loud, "Amen and amen and amen." Before I came on this morning, brothers and sisters, I was looking up some information, and I I happened to stumble upon a book that was trying to describe the layout of the Bible. Just know that this Bible we have was written in a space of 1,600 years, right? 1,600 years, in a space of 1,600 years by 40 different authors, right? 40 different authors writing from 4 different continents, right? but when you look at the bible like this information these are things i know before i have said this since before but it's, it's, it's important we we'll refresh some certain things but when you look at the thing it looks like they knew each other of course there are those who knew each other for example the apostles but apart from that the majority of them had no idea of the existence of the other people but yet if you use there's a connecting line from genesis to revelation and that connecting line is the love of God to redeem mankind through Christ. So, it's like what connected, what brought the whole book together. Now, before I continue this morning, let me first of all, for those of you who did, who expected and you didn't hear from me yesterday, let me begin with an apology, please. Yesterday was jammed up for me. I had a lot of engagement beginning very early in the morning. I thought I would get to the message Uh, within uh, the day I couldn't. So let me apologize uh, for that. Okay, and um, so let me continue this morning. You know what we've been discussing this week? Heaven, where is heaven? Heavenly rays, we are running a heavenly race to one day land in a place up in the sky where tears are wiped away. There's no longer death. The question I ask, beloved brothers and sisters, is it even possible that we can have a taste? Let us assume like we have been taught, that this has to be a physical place, is it possible for us to have a taste of it by faith, since we are people of faith, just like the heroes in Hebrews 11 did? Is it possible for us to have a taste of that life now? I can tell you, beloved brothers and sisters, the answer is 100% affirmative. Yes, and yes, and yes. And I'm saying it in this manner, so not to rattle what you've been taught all your life. So we are we are just taking it one step at a time. Brothers and sisters, the only error we can never afford to make is to let what happened to the Jews happen to us, God forbid. They prayed for a Messiah. They looked for a Messiah. They fasted for a Messiah. They had a hope of a perfect life for the Messiah. The Messiah who would deliver them from all their problems. They read about him continuously in the scriptures. See, these people's consistency in the scriptures was so high that even Jesus recognized it. Jesus looked at them and said, you bury your head in the scriptures the other translation say you you search this this the scriptures diligently He says why are they searching the scriptures they are looking for life and that life they have been looking for appeared to them where they should never miss it this life was looking at them talking to them instead of them receiving the life they went away they called him all kinds of names and so We have circled back to that place. Today, there's an expectation of a perfect life. That is waiting for us somewhere beyond the skies where finally we will go. And then the expectation that Jesus, the Messiah, will jump down from the skies with a host of angels and a new, a new Jerusalem will come down and settle in this place. Now, I'm not disputing any of that. The question I'm asking, can we have a taste of it? Will God be annoyed if we, if we expand our faith to taste that in this reality so that My heart is heaven and you know what we have been saying, what we have been saying. Whatever is in a man's heart rules that man's environment. If heaven is in my heart, my home will become heaven. Praise God. Amen and amen. My life will run here as heaven. Praise God. Amen and amen. Is it possible we swallow, let me use that word, that heaven, so that that heaven dwells in us and begins to rule my heart. Rule your heart. Rule my eyes. Rule your eyes. Remove the fears. Remove the shock. Remove every pain. Remove everything. That has limited us so far. And before I read the scripture, I'm going to read a scripture that will put this together for us this morning. And don't forget, it's Saturday, so we're doing a recap. I just want to call your attention to a post I made on Facebook, I think two days ago or so, where I was saying, is it true that God hides his blessings or disguises his blessing?" to get us to trust him enough so that he will now release it to us. And I was making this post because I saw this picture where they drew somebody a resemblance of Christ, right? So they drew Christ in a picture and um, he was kneeling down uh, in, in presence of a small child. And he had a, he had a, a, a gift to give to that child, but he hid he, he it behind him right? And then was trying to get the child to trust him before he releases the gift. Don't forget that picture came from the idea of God that we have been given. If God wants to give you a blessing, he will bring it with temptation. If God wants to give you a blessing, he will disguise it to get you to trust him. If God wants to give you a blessing, he will hide it, make it look like it's something bad. God wants to bless you with health. He will first give you sickness, God wants to bless you with wealth. He will first give you poverty. Is that all true? Is that true at all? At all? Don't forget, this what is whatever is inside of us becomes our experience. If this is the way you see God, it becomes your experience. And then he makes it look like it's true. But we must measure everything by the one that we know. Who do we know? Christ. In Christ, do we see anything like that? The answer is capital no. If we don't see it in Christ, then it is not in God. These are the speculations, like superstitions people have built over the years about God. The answer to that question is capital no. No good father will hide, disguise, camouflage his blessings so that you trust him so in case you don't trust him enough that means he's not going to give it to you so the giving you the blessing is not depending on who he is but your ability to trust ladies and gentlemen brothers and sisters let me ask you this question this morning did god needed your trust before he created the universe the answer is capital no. Did God need to, you to trust him enough before he perfected our redemption? The answer is no. So, in, in as a way of example, I ask this question. If you are still single, right? Let's use that as an example to explain what I just said now. If example that you are still single and you've been desiring for a long time to get married, it's, it's a joy, it's, it's a dream, a good design in your heart. You want to get married, settle, have your family, and it has not been possible. And so the question is, is it because God has not given you a spouse because even though he has this good spouse that he has packaged for you, he's waiting for you to trust him well enough, show enough faith or ask him enough before he gives it to you. The answer, you may believe that because we've been lied to, but the answer is capital no. He did not need your trust or your begging before he created the male and the Female. And so, what is the problem here? Something has made the choice very difficult. Something has made the choice very difficult. And what is that? It is how our experience and our environment has conditioned us. We are not seeing, not because we don't have eyes, we are not seeing because our heart has been covered. Sometimes it has been covered by pain. Sometimes it has been covered by darkness. Sometimes it's been covered so much that even though you see a good spouse, you may not know that this is a good one. It's not because God is hiding it. No good father hides his blessings, beloved. It's not because he's hiding your spouse or are you waiting, thinking that it's because you have not begged him enough. So when you now beg him well enough, when you cry, you you date this person, he ends in pain, he ends in tears. You date another person, he ends in, and God is taking you through all that so that finally, finally, he will not give you the best one. The answer is no. That is an Evil interpretation of the nature of God. What is the problem? We have eyes, but our heart has been covered by darkness, by experience, by pain, by culture, by Tradition, Ladies and gentlemen, this is why the gospel of Christ is not designed to show you how you can cry to God more, how you can untwist the arm of God so that he will give you something. No, sir. The gospel is designed to heal your heart, removing the pain, removing the sorrow, removing the fears. There are a lot of people today when they think about marriage, they are more fearful than hopeful. Why? Because of all the drama. That they have read and those drama has made uh, um, uh, marriage become a very fearful thing in their heart. So they are trying to tiptoe to see now they are not looking for spouse. They are looking for a perfect person, hoping that this perfect person will mean a perfect marriage. Sir, The the situation is becoming difficult, not because God is camouflaging, hiding his blessings at his back. No, it has become so because our heart is in pain. Our heart has been lied to. Our heart has been covered. So the gospel comes to heal your heart so that you can see clearly that the blessing of God has already been made available to us. Praise God. Amen. And amen. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this was not my subject this morning, but I wanted to throw that in there. It is the same thing. Why can't we see the reality of heaven? Why can't we see the reality of God? Why can't we see the reality of salvation? Is it because God is hiding it? Is it because God is hiding the fact that our sins have been paid for? No, you can say it to man over and over and over again. He will argue, he will reject the truth. Why? Because his heart is already covered by religion. Now, I will share more on this scripture in tomorrow's service by the grace of God. But today, let me give you a little bit taste of it. And let's begin to cap things up. Hebrews chapter number 12. I'm going to read from verse 22. Hebrews, the question we're asking, don't forget, where is heaven? Let's read Hebrews 12 verse 22. I've read the scripture before, but let's look a little closer this morning. It says, by contrast, what contrast? By contrast with the experience of Moses, right, he said we have already come near to God in a totally different realm the Zion realm. What does Zion represent in the Bible? I told you before, Zion was a city conquered by David, and he dedicated that city as this is the seat of God. This is where the presence of God is it's a type of heaven. Right? So God. That's, they believe that this is where God lives. Don't forget, wherever God lives is heaven. Don't forget. So for them, it was a physical place where they dedicated to the presence of God. So the Bible said that you and not, not that we are going to come, but we are already in that place. Notice this. If you click the footnote on the TPT, it says the Greek verb is... Is in the perfect tense, indicating that the fullness of our salvation and our entrance into God's heavenly realm has already taken place. That's what it says. Now, now, you don't have to believe this because I'm saying it. Just go get the TPT and grab Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 22. Read it. You see the little uh, thing that looks like a chart. Click on it. You will see it. I'm just reading it. It says... In contrast, what they did was physical. In contrast, you and I, it says, we, it, the, it indicates that the fullness of our salvation has been completed and our entrance into God's heavenly realm has already taken place. Let us be not be like the Jews who were expecting a Messiah. The Messiah came and they are still praying, waiting for that Messiah. Now, listen to this, it says, for we have entered the city of the living God. We have already entered into, don't forget, the city of the living God is heaven where we live. Notice this, it says, which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. Why is this phrase, new Jerusalem, very important? Don't forget, when you read the Revelation, it tells you that a new heaven, a new, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven will descend from up. That's what it says. A new heaven will come. Now, the book of Hebrews, which I believe, I'm still going to verify this data, which I believe was written before Revelation is telling you what it is. Notice this. It says, for we have entered the city of the living God which is the new Jerusalem in heaven. Now again, if I click on the footnote on TPT, this is what it says and I'm going to read it for you word by word. It says, "This is the fulfillment of Abraham's vision." He gives you the Bible, Bible verse for that. "And what Israel's ancestors has seen far off," he gives you he gives you the verse for that. Listen, it says, "The new Jerusalem is not only a place, but a people who dwell with God in their midst. It is a city that is a bride or a bridal city coming out of heaven to where? To earth. And that is what you read in Revelation chapter 21 verses 9 to 14. Don't forget below, we have to use scripture to interpret scripture. That is the rule. We cannot use our experience to interpret scripture. We cannot use a dream. Oh, I saw a dream. I was in heaven and there were flowers all over the place. We cannot use stories to interpret the scripture. We have to use scripture to interpret scripture. When you read the last chapter of the bible revelation chapter 21 verses 9 to 14 it talks about a new heaven like coming down to earth like a bride prepared for the husband the book of hebrews is explaining that he said he says it is a city that is a bride or a bridal city coming out of heaven to the earth now listen to what it explains we are not going, listen sir, we are not going to the new Jerusalem. We are going to be the new Jerusalem. We are not going to a city. We are going to be that city. Just in the same way I explained to you that there is no uh, a duplex or boy's quarters or flat or uh, bungalows that God is building for you somewhere in the sky. You are the mansions in my Father's house. My Father's house. There is talking about Christ here on earth. In my Father's house there are many mansions. Who are those mansions? I am that mansion, you are that mansion because we are in Christ. We are that mansion where God dwells. This place is telling you we are not going to a new Jerusalem. We are going to be the new Jerusalem. Now, he goes on to say, again, using scripture to explain scripture. He says, the breastplate worn by the high priest... Over his heart with his precious stones was a miniature scale model of the New Jerusalem. Don't forget, these were specific instructions given to Moses in the New, in the Old Testament. That God instructed them that the priest must wear a breastplate on his chest. What was the wonderful thing about that breastplate? It had different precious stones with different colors. Praise God. Amen. Now, the Bible must interpret the Bible. So, now, the Bible, Hebrews, is explaining to us that the breastplate worn by the high priest over his heart with his precious stones was a miniature scale model of the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is the ampli- amplification of that breastplate. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, what did he say at the concluding line? He said, It is a metaphor of transformed sons with their names engraved upon the precious stone. If you read the Revelation, it talks about all manner of precious stones. Again, if you read Revelation 21 verses 2 to 4, it talks about all this. Praise God. That is where you see the physical things, but Hebrews is telling you. For example, when you hear a new Jerusalem, don't think about a physical city. Think about a people where God lives in. Praise God. He said, we are not going to a new Jerusalem. We are going to be that new Jerusalem. Praise God. Now, the way the Bible ought to be interpreted, just like it's been done now, you can see that the reference goes from the Old Testament. It tells you where God gave them a model of the same city. So, when you hear new Jerusalem, in Revelation, right, it is the same thing as the breastplate the priest wore on their chest in the Old Testament is the same thing. Now, in the middle, which is the epistle, is supposed to open our eyes to understand what this things mean. So now you cannot read one thing and take it off for it to be true. Don't forget, it has to be, I told you, for something to be true in the scriptures, it has to have the same meaning, it has to be the same thing, both in the uh, scriptures, which is when I say scriptures and I'm talking about what they read that time, which is the Old Testament. It has to be in the gospel. It has to be explained in the epistles. And this is what has happened to us this morning. Beloved, what I'm telling you is that I'm helping by the grace of God that your eye will open, that you will see the reality of this heaven. Because if you see it, right? If you see it in front of you, if you see it in you, if you see yourself in it, if you imagine yourself in it, If you state with your mind that you are in it, it will become your experience. Ladies and gentlemen, that is better than staying here and hoping one day, one day, by and by, I will go to some place. Now, we can have a taste of it right now. Brothers and sisters, my time is over. I will come back again tomorrow by the grace of God. We want to dig a little deeper into this tomorrow's service we'll try to tie all this together don't forget what i told you don't forget beloved we are not here to change your denomination we are not here to argue we are trying to make heaven real so that you and i can enjoy the reality of it right now praise god okay it's saturday take some time and rest and tomorrow we'll come back to you don't forget that this morning you have been served shalom